Today I talked to George Deweist, a missionary with Resonate Global Mission serving in Ukraine. We discussed his history with the area and his various ministries before taking a dive into how current global tensions have impacted what it means to live and work in Ukraine. This is Amplify. Hello and welcome to Amplify, the show where we listen to stories and engage in discussion with Christians in all walks of life. I'm your host, Austin Slater, and joining me today is George Deweist, a missionary with Resonate Global Mission serving in Ukraine. George, thanks so much for joining today. It's an honor to have you on. Well, thank you. It's great to be here with you. Awesome. So you're here in Grand Rapids today, right? Yes, that's correct. Gotcha. Are you originally from West Michigan? Um, Most of my life, I grew up here a little bit in the Chicago area, a little bit in Ontario. Um, So yeah, around a bit, but mostly from the Grand Rapids area. Cool. Then how did a guy from Grand Rapids end up getting to Ukraine? That's not your typical... (laughs) Yeah. Probably not. There's there's a few of us, but not many. Um, I was always fascinated by the Soviet Union uh, growing up in the 1980s uh, and uh, being kind of politically aware. And in 1989, had a chance to go on a student exchange program to the Soviet Union and really fell in love with it and wanted to go back in some capacity. And when the wall fell in 89 and then in 91, the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, new doors opened and I was able to go um, study at the University of Kyiv in Ukraine in 1992 for the entire calendar year um, in conjunction with working with a mission organization out of Farmington, Michigan called Send International. And uh, that kind of, yeah, started me on this journey. So I came back and went to seminary, finished I undergraduate, went to seminary um, with the goal of going back to Ukraine. So spent some time during seminary doing internships in Eastern Europe, uh, working with the Hungarian Reformed Church and and working with ethnic Hungarian Reformed churches in Ukraine. Um, And then uh, since 1998, uh, with what was at that time Christian Reformed World Missions, now Resonate Global Mission, have been working in Ukraine uh, training missionaries, planting a church, uh, doing leadership training. Um, and now uh, the focus of my ministry has shifted to something called Healing Hearts, Transforming Nations, which I look forward to sharing more about today. For sure. So Ukraine's always, it seems like, been that long-term goal for you. That's really cool that you've gotten to live that dream out. Yeah, it's hard right now with the political situation that's going on there. And uh, sure, you know, sure. uh, we have three, three teenagers um, and have grown up their entire lives in Ukraine and being back here. And it, it's not easy. Um, I'm sure, anyways. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I've got some questions about that for later. Um, so you kind of answered a little bit about this, but you know, what do you do as missionaries? What is church planning and leadership training? You know, what does that look like for the lay person? So um, we use different programs. Um, so church planting. Yeah. is pretty much, the same everywhere, but with its own cultural twists. So um, what if, if we're trying to reach a Ukrainian culture that has an orthodox um, kind of Christian veneer to it, um, things like liturgy matter, things like how you dress as the pastor matters, things like how you design your building matters. Um, these things play an important role in the 
understanding and mindset of, of people that, that have been raised in a uh, nominally Christian Orthodox world. Um, so, so yeah, you have, it's about meeting people. It's about inviting people. It's about building relationships with, with people in the community. Um, but bringing in the cultural aspects of what that means. So it's very different than here in that way. For sure. I'm, yeah, I'm, I bet there's a lot of those really unique cultural aspects. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Food, food, of course, is a universal cultural thing, uh-huh. um, and but it is a it is you know the foods that are appropriate are different <laughs> depending right. where you're at. How so? so? Well, for example, when you have a a birthday party uh, for somebody, um, it is especially if it's a birthday party that ends in a zero, like your fortieth birthday or something like that. Um, it would be expected there that you would serve sandwiches with caviar interesting um it is a very typical thing to have at a birthday party and it's row it's it's like salmon caviar it's not the it's not the super expensive black (laughs) caviar i mean that's a i mean you have to be quite wealthy to be able to do that Mm. but it, it would not it would that would be very normal interesting um the other the other thing is that you would need you you need to serve lots of food in their culture (laughs) (laughs) you always have way more than what you need it's a very cultural thing the the sense of hospitality is very different Hmm. so when it's your birthday you make the dinner for everyone Hmm. you don't have dinner made for you you invite all of your friends over for a meal for your birthday and um and and that's that's those types of things are really really important um in in the culture um yeah that's fascinating so looking back at the ministry what does sort of your day-to-day life in ministry when you're in ukraine in normal times look Mm -hmm. like yeah um for me uh, it involves a lot of traveling around the country so we have different groups that are involved in leadership training and we 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 use the timothy leadership training materials, which is something that was developed out of Francophone Africa um, with um, together with resonate missionaries that were working there and now has spread globally and is even used in North America. It's an adult ed based interactive um, learning process that helps people um, go through what the Bible teaches on a particular topic and implement um, achievable plans to make it integrated into their ministry. And so a lot of it is um, gathering groups in different parts of the country. I'll meet with them for a week, go through two topics during that week, um, and then they will go back to their ministry settings and implement those, and, and then I'll be following up with them. And so I'll have several groups like that in different parts of the country going on at one time. Um, and so my actual interaction is just a week at a time with them, but then follow up. Um, then also doing some work with different organizations that we're connected to, seminary, um, you know, churches, things like that, uh, as well as then now with the Healing Hearts Transforming Nations, I've been working intensely along the conflict, the line of conflict in Eastern Ukraine with existing churches that um, and helping prepare them 
to be equipped with um, how to move forward in healing and reconciliation um, in this conflict situation. And sure. so that is, that's meeting with people um, individually, groups, but then also it's a, a, an, a three day intensive uh, workshop experience that brings three people, walks people through a process of identifying their, their own wounds, the wounds of their people group, um, and bringing them to the cross for healing and then moving from there into a process of reconciliation. Um, one of the things we've discovered is that um, when people are, are hurt, um, either by their own sin or by sins committed against them, they've been wounded. When that, when, when they're deal, when they, when they haven't been able to deal with the pain, it's very difficult to move into reconciliation. It's difficult to forgive the people that wounded you or to seek forgiveness of the people you've wounded. Mm. Um, so part of the reason that this particular approach works so well is because it backs up and doesn't start with the, with the immediate issue. It, it, it backs up to the underlying wounds that have led to the issues. And so that actually that ties in really well with my next question. I saw here that you're working with the Eurasian School of Reconciliation as well as the International School of Reconciliation. So those are yeah. both just extensions of that sort of ministry? Yeah, so this is, um, so in a school, what we do is we bring people through this process, um, typically church leaders or organizational leaders, um, people that are involved actively in communities and then train them how to do this process themselves. So it's a two week program um, where they experience it and then learn how to do it. How, how did you come to get involved in that? How did you have a passion for reconciliation ministry? How did that come about? Um, uh, the short answer is by God's grace. The <laughs> long answer <laughs> is that um, in, in 2014, um, uh, Ukraine went, had a revolution. It's called the Revolution of Dignity, where they overthrew a very corrupt government um, that was pro-Russian. And Russia responded by invading Ukraine. Uh, they illegally annexed the Crimean Peninsula, and they started a conflict in eastern Ukraine that's continuing to this day. Over 15,000 people were kill, have been killed um, in the conflict. Ukrainians, we don't know the number of Russians killed because they don't give that information. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, over, over one and a half million internally displaced people uh, so when this conflict broke out, uh, the country was overwhelmed with especially the uh, internally displaced people. They, and it was a very difficult situation. Churches started getting involved. Um, and, and then pastors were burning out because there was so much that needed to be done. There were so many people in need. Um, and... Uh, and you had all the stress of a conflict going on with, that nobody knew what was gonna happen. You know, at the end of March of 2014, we actually evacuated Kiev at that time because it looked like Russia was going to launch a full-scale invasion. Um, thankfully, they didn't. Um, now we're back in that situation again, as is all over the news right now. Mm -hmm. So um, in, in looking how to respond to um, the needs of these pastors that I had been working with in leadership training and other capacities. Um, I engaged Lee Boss, 
who is a former CR, CRC missionary who's in Grand Haven, Michigan, and has an organization that does uh, member care or care for people in, 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 in mission. Um, it's called Walking in Their Shoes. And he was willing to come out and, and meet with these pastors with me and help them learn about how to deal with stress, how to work with orphans, um, how to work with um, IDPs. Um, he actually was invited by the city council in one of the cities we were working with, a large city of about 900,000 that had taken in over 100,000 refugees from, from the east mm. um, and was completely overwhelmed. And he was given the opportunity to work with their entire social services staff to help train them in working with these IDPs. So, I mean, God was doing amazing things and opening incredible doors. Um, and through that, um, he invited me to come to a conference in Antalya, Turkey, where I met a woman from Wales. Her name's Rhiannon Lloyd, and she is the founder of Healing Hearts um, Transforming Nations, uh, which began in Rwanda. And this is a ministry that that is that grew out of the, the Rwandan genocide in 1994. Just 12 weeks at the end of that, that genocide, um, she was asked to come in to work with pastors who were wondering how how to move forward. Is there any hope for healing and reconciliation after such a horrific genocide? Um, and when I heard her story, um, my question is, could God use this in Ukraine? Mm -hmm. um, and so in 2015, I was able to go to Rwanda for the International School of Reconciliation to go through this process myself and and then to um, get trained how to lead it and then actually to go into a village with genocide survivors and perpetrators and lead a workshop in rwanda for them uh, which was life-changing i mean um for one I, I i faced a lot of wounds that i had in my own life from my own childhood from my own past from from working for the christian reformed church um, <laughs> Uh, uh, and um, and found a lot of healing personally. Uh, but even more, I think seeing God use our little team of people, um, we were a group of pastors from Europe, uh, North America, and South Sudan, working together as a team, leading this workshop in a village where people had experienced unspeakable horrors as very young children. Mm -hmm. Now they were in their 20s and still carrying um, all the weight of this pain and trauma that they had experienced and their communities were carrying it. And seeing God do incredible miracles of healing and reconciliation where we were just left you know, with our jaws hanging, thinking we have no idea what we're doing here but wow, God is showing up. Mm. So if God can show up in that way in Rwanda, would God show up that way in Ukraine? And what I discovered is the answer is yes. So in 2015, 16, we began introducing this in Ukraine and we just saw these same miracles, um, physical healings taking place, as well as people uh, being healed from deep wounds. Mm -hmm. um, uh, one woman who 
was raped by her father from the age of seven till she ran away at 17. And through this process found, uh, I mean, she had gotten into drugs and alcohol and men and, um, and, and came up through a, a Christian rehab center in Ukraine and then ended up through some of those people being invited to one of our workshops. And um, through a process that we do called, uh, we call it standing in the gap, but it, the more technical name is identificational confession. Um, she was deeply, deeply healed. Um, and for the first time in her life was able to truly forgive her father for what she had experienced. Wow. Um, and yeah, it was amazing. And we just see this over and over. Um, and, and that leads me to my next question. <laughs> if God can do this in Rwanda, and God can do this in Ukraine. Over the last couple of years, we've been isolating because of COVID and watching a lot of the news in North America mm-hmm. um, about Black Lives Matter, about the indigenous schools and the murder of, of indigenous children that's being uncovered, and about just this incredible brokenness in North America and, and, and the history of genocide um, and, uh, and of yeah, not valuing all lives, all people as image bearers of God. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of pain and there's a lot of brokenness and there's a lot of division. Can God do the same thing in North America that we've seen him do in Ukraine and in Rwanda? And I believe the answer is yes. So this is where, so part of my, what I'm doing this year is actually we're introducing this ministry in North America this year. Um, so we will be doing um, workshops. One one will be in West Michigan at, at Maranatha and Muskegon in May. Um, one will be uh, in Los Angeles um, at the end of April. And the first week of May will be in Maryland. Okay. And then in September, in from September 7 uh, to the 15th, I believe, we will be doing... Uh, the North American School of Reconciliation, which will be a workshop followed by a, a training for people who want to learn how to run these workshops. And that's going to be in Sumas, Washington, right near the Canadian border um, at a retreat center up there. Um, there's more information about those and how to register at Resonate Global Missions website um, and, and uh, under our ministries. You'll find information about it. And so these first um, workshops in schools, the head of this ministry from Rwanda and uh, from Hungary and from Wales will be working with me along with people from North America. It's interdenominational, interethnic that'll be coming and we'll be leading these workshops together. Um, so these first ones are gonna be pretty more kind of special that way. We're not always gonna have the international uh, presence um, for these workshops, but yeah. Shifting gears a little bit here, um, we've yeah. already talked a little bit, you know, as obviously, you know, Ukraine is kind of under the global spotlight right now. Yes. Um, for those who may not be as familiar with the situation, who haven't necessarily been paying super close attention to the news, could you just describe what's going on briefly? <sighs> yeah. Um, briefly is the hard part. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, uh, so the current situation is that uh, Vladimir Putin has amassed about 130,000 troops or so around Ukraine um, and from the north um, along the Ukrainian-Belarusian border 
and along the Russian border, as, as well as all along the east and in the south in Crimea. Um, today they're bringing six warships into the Black Sea as well. Um, so basically, um, the fear is that he's he's preparing to launch a, a, a an attack to take over Ukraine. Putin is unhappy um, that Ukraine uh, has not come back under his sphere of influence, that they're westward leaning, um, which they have been generally all along, uh, but not as much as now. Actually, by invading Ukraine in 2014, uh, Vladimir Putin made uh, Ukrainians much more unified in their desire uh, to join the European Union in the West. Mm. Um, uh, so that that has been an issue. Um, but uh, a lot of it is, yeah, it, it's a lot of complicated history. There's a lot of misinformation that's out. Um, but one of the things that people that understand Ukraine and Russia um, consistently talk about is that Russia is a, what's called a kleptocracy. Um, it is it is run by thieves who are robbing the country of its resources and banking those resources in our banks here in North in the US, um, especially in prop in multimillion dollar properties in London and places like that. Um, and part of the reason they can get away with that is that there is this understanding or thinking that um, Slavs, um, Russians, can need to have a hard dictatorial leader hmm. um, and there's this kind of historical mythology behind that the tsars the and, and the soviets and now now vladimir putin um, and uh and people are willing to trade off their freedom for that order and even some to some extent their their wealth for that order and that sense of security that that gives um, as but that breaks down at some point and it's been breaking down as the russian economy has been collapsing and as um they've become less and less powerful and more and more isolated um and, and that's leading um putin to try to find ways to regain power glory the soviet union so putin has said that the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the 20th century was the collapse of the soviet union hmm. Um, and he was a KGB agent who worked for the Soviet Union. He had to pack up and kind of run away out of, I believe Dresden was where he was located, but in East Germany, um, where he was working as a KGB agent when the Soviet Union collapsed. And uh, so that is his mindset. And Ukraine is a critical part of the Soviet Union. There is no, it's a part of the myth of Russian history um, and so losing Ukraine delegitimizes Moscow's role um, historically, uh, but it, it, it also, there is an economic connectedness um, that had been in play historically. Um, but there's also a great fear that if Ukraine success, becomes a successful democracy, it undermines this entire idea that Slavs, or Russians need to have a hard dictatorial leader. Right. So if Ukraine successfully westernizes, Putin loses his narrative to explain why he needs to stay there. Hmm. Um, so there are a lot of different factors at work here. 
um, in this whole conflict situation. Now, the other issue is that Putin wants to see, be seen as a world leader and he wants, to, wants Russia to be seen as a global player. So by stoking conflict, he gets that attention. The other thing that's happening is he's trying to divide the West. So he wants what what he he wants the European Union to fail and he wants NATO to fail. And so by creating conflicts like this, where it's very unclear what's going to happen and how it's going to do, it creates this detention between members of NATO and the European Union. And then especially when you have countries like Hungary with a kind of a pro-Russian leader, um, it who is a part of the European Union and a part of NATO, it can even make it more complicated. Right. Um, but the recent meeting, for example, yesterday between President Biden and the, the new chancellor of Germany, where you have something called Nord Stream 2, which is this gas pipeline from Russia to Germany. German, Germany is completely dependent upon Russian gas for all of its heating needs. And so there's a different geopolitical calculation on Germany's side than there is on the side of the US, for example. And, mm -hmm. and so Putin is actively trying to stoke those divisions through this conflict to try to wet, create wedges in NATO and the EU. Gotcha. So there's way too much geopolitical history and stuff for you. <laughs> I was gonna say, it's definitely, I mean, it's definitely a region with a rich history. So yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, obviously, like you said, this is a lot of geopolitical stuff. What does what do things look like on the ground? How does this impact the day to day lives of you guys yeah. and Ukrainians? Um, I mean, for the expat community, it's really, really difficult right now, especially for the mission community, because, you know, we're very connected to people and what we do and churches and stuff. And and we, we realize that we have a lot of privilege as Westerners that people there don't have. Um, you know, my passport affords me all kinds of privilege right. that a Ukrainian passport doesn't give you. Um, and, and, and so it's hard to use that privilege um, to leave other people mm -hmm. yeah. in dangerous situations. Um, at the same time, uh, we have to be wise. You know, we have responsibility. We have multiple different levels of responsibility to different things. And we work for organizations and agencies that also carry certain responsibilities to us and, and, and to their constituents. Um, so right now it's really not safe or possible to be in Ukraine. Um, it's part of the reason we're still here in the US. Um, and we don't know if and when we will be able to go back to Ukraine. Um, yeah, hopefully this just blows over, and, but it's it's difficult to see how that's going to happen because the rhetoric and, you know, it seems like Putin has backed himself somewhat into a corner that if he does nothing, he will look weak, mm -hmm. but nobody's going to, you know, just let him take it. So we're, I, we just don't see how this is going to end. You know, the, the, the U.S. government has urged all Americans to leave Ukraine now. Mm. Um, and and they have yeah they and they've they've re, uh all non-essential personnel have been taken out of the country um by the government as well so embassy staff and families and so forth so what does evacuation look like um especially you mentioned you know you've got kids who are teenagers um yeah. what's so tell us about when, that yeah yeah when when you when uh 
the situation is getting politically tense and potentially you know military conflict the first stage is you have go bags so we have uh there's there's a whole security protocol that resonate and the denomination follow um so for uh, back in 2014 and here in this conflict there's generally a two hour it takes about two hours to get from the border to kiev so they put us on a two-hour evacuation program so we had to have everything ready to go so that with in under two hours we could be out of there if we needed to mm-hmm. now we had vehicles um, we had pets um, and so our first phase of evacuation would be to move back to western ukraine away from where conflict would be um uh, to where we have contacts where we had done ministry in the past um and where we had lived for many years mm-hmm. so right near the hungarian border um the next phase would then be crossing into hungary if we really had to get out of the country because things were collapsing um so in, in march of 2014 we moved to western ukraine and were able to wait out the situation there there wasn't the full-scale invasion we were able to return um now we were here in the us for reconnect um, what used to be called home service um, visiting our supporting churches when all of this happened and we're stuck here and um, we, we just can't go back um, under in the current circumstance so we didn't have to go through the same evacuation process for this current conflict but many of our friends have um, and it's um, it's heartbreaking i mean there are kids that have to leave pets behind there are kids you know your 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 classmates you're, you're, you know, you don't know if you're ever going to see these people again. For a lot of people, you know, it's been eight years of living under a lot of stress with active conflict going on, and and a lot of people are just done. Mm-hmm. It's too much, you know. Um, and uh, and we have Ukrainian friends who have left the country, also also church workers, but that have left the country for that same very reason. It's it's so stressful. These are people that have lost their homes because of the conflict in the east and were displaced when it began in 2014, then got resettled, you know, in Kiev or other, you know, cities. And and now it's all happening again and they really just can't. It, it's so difficult to deal with. And that's the, that's really the, I think for us, the hardest thing to see. And then we have dear friends that are Ukrainians that can't leave and mm-hmm. don't have that privilege. And they're, and they're some of them, I mean, Ukrainian, uh, Ukrainians as a culture tend to be quite fatalistic um and so basically you know what what do we do what's going to happen is going to happen we live our lives and you know hope for the best um now ukrainian over the ukraine over the last eight years has become highly militarized um so it has you know the second largest standing army after russia Hmm. in europe ukraine is a very large country it's the largest country in continental europe it has a population of about 45 million um and they yeah so if there's a conflict it's going to be very bloody it's going to be it's going to be uh tragic Mm -hmm. Um, it's also going to become a global issue very soon because there will be millions of refugees flooding into romania poland primarily but also other countries Mm -hmm. um in, in in eastern europe so um yeah we continue to pray that somehow you know putin will begin to back down um it's hard to see how that's going to happen but you know it's possible that can always be the prayer that's for sure yeah yeah 
So, and again, we kind of talked about this a little bit already, but now that you're here in Michigan for the foreseeable future, um, ministry looks like the um, reconciliation conferences. Uh, what else does that look like? You said you were still visiting churches, support raising? Yeah, we're visiting churches, and I'm still involved in the global work of this ministry. Um, so there's a, a, a global organization, Healing Hearts Transforming Nations, um, at hhtnglobal.org is the website. Um, and so, for example, in December, I was in Kenya uh, doing a retreat for East African leaders of this ministry who work in Congo, um, uh, Burundi, Rwanda, South Sudan, um, Ethiopia, Kenya, and Uganda. I'm gathering the, the key leaders, and it's a difficult ministry. You're dealing with pain. Some of these men, some of these, men um, these are all men leading these ministries. Um, and there are women that are rising up and their wives is the first time we we're ever able to do a retreat where their wives were able to come with them, mm -hmm. which was incredibly important um, for their own well-being. And it was great to see because the wives are often left at home with the family, not knowing if their husbands are going to ever come back. Mm. Um, some of these people, especially in Congo, are going into places where there is active conflict, where people are being beheaded, where church, where I mean, it is it is in intensely dangerous, um, and uh, yeah, it's scary. Um, and these guys are heroes; they're incredibly courageous, and they are bringing God's the, you know the message of reconciliation at the cross into these conflicts that are seemingly unresolvable and. Um, yeah, have have taken many many lives. But uh, yeah, I didn't finish answering the question. <laughs> You're good. Go back here. Sorry. So that's one aspect is continuing to work with that global thing. I continue to work with the team that we that we trained in Ukraine as well. So doing a lot of things online, mm -hmm. but also um, and continue to to do some TL Timothy leadership training work um, online as well. Um, and you know, my hope is that we'll be, we'll be, I will be able to do some traveling to the region at, at some point, depending on how things develop. Um, and then uh, um, uh, working on, yeah, developing the international, more of the international work. So yeah, we've just translated the materials into Spanish, um, and we're we're looking at yeah further development in other parts of the world as well so sure what would be some key items that um listeners could uh support and encourage you with in prayer and giving what would what would good support look like for you guys at this point well prayer is really the most important thing um, reconciliation is ultimately a spiritual battle mm -hmm. uh, reconciliation um yeah needs to be won in prayer we have an enemy who wants to divide us and that enemy is hard at work uh, and and that enemy does not like it when we want to bring reconciliation and everywhere we have gone to begin a new ministry in a new place where we've been invited in we have intense spiritual opposition uh crazy things happen mm -hmm. uh people break hips people i in December, somebody drove their pickup truck smack into our car. Oh, wow. We were supposed to be starting these workshops in January, 
on December 21st, our car got totaled. We got um, into this, and these types of things happen. Mm-hmm. And um, so we do need prayer for protection for the families of the facilitators, for people that are traveling. Um, we we need we really need prayer for uh, the per- people who have signed up to participate. Um, and and uh, applications are still being received if people want to sign up um, and and experience this ministry. Um, it's still possible, uh, but. Uh, Prayer is, you know, praying for reconciliation, praying for healing is is the is really foundational. So one thing that's happening, our our partner organization in uh, Kenya called Way of Peace uh, began a prayer movement, um, asking everyone um, who would like to pray for this ministry to just stop whatever they're doing on Tuesday at two o'clock, Tuesdays at two, they call it, whatever time zone they're in. So there are people around the world, literally, uh, from Papua New Guinea, uh, you know, to Kenya, to, to Ivory Coast, uh, all over Europe and in North America, praying Tuesdays at two hmm. uh, for these upcoming workshops in North America, um, and and so invite everyone to just join us Tuesdays at two, and just stop. And cell phone, you know, cell phones are a great thing. I used to have set an alarm, and um, you know, it just reminds me every week, two o'clock on Tuesday, just to stop for a bit and pray uh, for what's coming up. For sure. So I know, you know, there's a lot of heavy stuff here. Um, I do like to end with some lighter discussion, but before we move on, is there anything else you'd like to talk about or stories you feel would be important to be told? Um, well, I would just say there's two main ways that people, if they're interested in supporting this ministry, um, on Resonate's website on the Donate Now, you could find two projects. One is a scholarship fund, and this scholarships are for people coming from underserved communities who would like to participate in this. What's really important in this ministry is that we want that we engage uh, across uh, racial and ethnic lines, across denominational lines. This is not a CRC ministry; it's an ecumenical ministry. Um, it wasn't started by the CRC. It was started in Rwanda, uh, you know, and it's something mm-hmm. where we have have a opportunity and a privilege to learn from the global church about how people have found a path to healing and reconciliation that has transformed their communities. Um, and and so, yeah, supporting people that wouldn't be able to afford participating through these scholarships would be one really great way that people could help. The other is just supporting the Ministry of Healing Hearts, Transforming Nations itself. It's 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 it costs a lot of money to bring people in, to gather people together, to hold these events, um, and we are subsidizing the cost to make it more affordable to begin with. Um, but that means we do need to raise raise that money. Um, so there are two projects that you would find at the Resonate. Uh, global mission donate site that one is just for healing hearts transforming nations um, these are in projects in the u.s the other is for the healing hearts transforming nations scholarship fund shifting gears as we sort of close what is the most encouraging experience you've had on the field or in ministry recently uh that's a good question <laughs> <laughs> um the, the most recent thing was just in December when I was gathering with these leaders 
um, and I was leading him through a study of Psalm 23. And we spent four days, look, you know, taking it bit by bit and looking through the Psalm with these, yeah, eight couples. Um, and uh, the lights going on as, as we we're talking about rest mm. and, the, and the need to, you know, what is our good shepherd? Uh, the shepherd Lord uh, wanting wanting for us and it was interesting to hear that every single one of them had always been taught that the green pastures are the word of God and it means that you need to stay in the word you need to spend your time studying and they were all working too hard Mm. they were all burning out and to talk about when does sheep lie down in green pastures I mean, sheep, you think about eating, right? But sheep don't lie down when they're eating. So it means they're satisfied. Hmm. When the shepherd has provided for their needs and they can just rest. And, uh, and, that, and seeing that realization come on and then hearing them talk about we have been treating our staff and our, you know, the people working with us completely wrong. We need Mm. to go back and we need to encourage people to develop healthy, more healthy rhythms of work and rest and, 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 and start to think about caring for the people that are ministering with us in these ways. And, and just that seeing that happen is just amazing. And um, so grateful uh, to God, to be able to just play a role in that. And, um, yeah, you know, God is doing amazing things and, and to be able to see God at work in, in these ways and just kind of hang on for the ride is, is so much, I mean, it's so, it's so much fun, <laughs> but it's also really encouraging when you see these things happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite thing about Ukrainian culture that you miss the most when you're away? It could wow. be this. It could be the birthday sandwiches. Um. Yeah, well, I mean, food is a big thing in all culture. Um, uh, but Ukrainian hospitality is just amazing, um, mm. and so I, I miss. Um, oh. I, I miss visiting people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it is is what I miss most of all. Um, being able to sit at people's kitchen tables uh, and and um, and you know doesn't matter if they're wealthy or poor people are just incredibly hospitable they give you way too much um, and uh, but you get they open their lives in a way that's just not the way things are done in North America hmm. and, and and to and to be able to um, yeah, get to know people and to be a part of that is, is very special. Um, yeah. So that, that's what I definitely missed, miss more than anything is just being able to sit with people, mm-hmm. um, in their homes and, um, hear their stories and, and develop those relationships with them. Yeah. Mission is relational. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, so I grew up as a missionary kid myself. I was actually in Uganda and Kenya. 
Um, oh, nice. and we, we often would get really silly questions about growing up overseas. Um, I've can't begin to tell you the amount of times people asked when I was a kid, if I rode elephants to school or <laughs> what yes, have you, uh, my kids would love to have this conversation I'm with you sure they they're would. getting it now. <laughs> what are some of those questions that they get or that you've gotten having been there for so long? Um, well, I think the reality is most people in North America don't even know where Ukraine is. Mm -hmm. So I've been asked if that's in Africa. Um, <laughs> Isn't that Russia, which it isn't Russia, um, although people are beginning to pick up on that now. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, but the kids have been asked, you know, questions about, you know, do they have cars there? Do they have what, how do, you know, what kind of houses do people live in? Mm -hmm. You know, it, they, people don't really know how, there's so little known about Eastern Europe in our church circles that a lot of people don't even know how to ask yeah <laughs> questions um and one of the things that gets you know for us is also that people don't know how to speak about ukraine right. um so people were taught to say the ukraine for example which is completely wrong and is actually quite derogatory to ukrainians um, because the the ukraine is a russia is part of this russian narrative that ukraine isn't a legitimate nation Hmm. Uh, and and it comes out of Russian imperial and Soviet propaganda saying that U Ukraine doesn't really exist. Hmm. Um, and so it's a very, yeah, uh, derogatory thing. But people everywhere we go, people still say the Ukraine. And we're correcting, we try to correct them gently and nicely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. incredibly valid. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we run into all kinds of different things, but it's yeah, and, um, and people and, and wanting to know what people eat there is is another big thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, Ukrainian borscht, if you have it prepared the right way, is one of the best things in the world. Okay, it was something called pampushki, which are little rolls that are soaked in garlic. <laughs> you got and, me there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Lastly, just what do you hope people take away from listening to this discussion? Like if you could pick one key theme. As, as the church, we are called to a ministry of reconciliation. To reconcile people to God, um, to, to themselves, to each other, and to all creation. Um, often the church has not done this well. And, and a big part of my call and ministry and what we're about in Ukraine and globally is helping bring the church back um, to be that agent of healing and reconciliation in the communities where God has placed it. Well, George, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, this has just been such an incredible privilege to uh, listen to you, to hear your story, to hear your perspective. Um, thank you. Well, thank you. Great to be with you. And thank you for listening to Amplify. If you'd be willing to leave us a like, subscribe to our podcast, or even leave us a review, it would go a long way to help us as we seek to bring you more stories and interviews. 
If you have a story you would like to be shared, send me an email at aslater at friendshipcrc.org. Amplify is a ministry of Friendship Christian Reformed Church in Byron Center, Michigan. To help support our podcast and further amplify the stories of people in ministry, go to friendshipcrc.org, select Give Online in the Get Connected bubble, and then select Give to Missions and Outreach. If you'd like to further support George and his ministries, go to resonateglobalmission.org forward slash ministries dash initiatives, and then select Healing Hearts Transforming Nations in the dropdown. Our music was provided by bensound.com. This episode was written, produced, and edited by Austin Slater. <laughs>